Hello and welcome to My Streaming Bubble, the podcast where I talk about the shows I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and today, back in the pod mate. Um <laughs> I am your host Jen and today back in the pod basement is longtime tolerated and this podcast's resident Jewish person Eric and he's here for the final curtain call on the fast talking wisecracking original series The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Welcome to the pod. Welcome back to the pod basement, Eric. Thanks. I have a I have a title now. You, you used to be like my comic book. I mean, you still are. Yeah. You're my, kind of my my comic book guy. Yeah. Because you know you know <clears throat> comics. Um, but for today's episode, you are <clears throat> also uh, my streaming bubbles resident Jew. All right. Um, I'm the token Jewish guy. You're the token <laughs> Jewish guy. <laughs> I love it. So. How you been? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. That's good. You look great, by the way. Oh, thank you. You as well. Thank you. He's got a dope-ass Donnie Darko t-shirt, which I need to remember to take a picture of and uh, sweet. send it to my podcast brain twin, Aaron, over there at It's a Fandom Thing podcast because that is like one I don't of know her, if you noticed, but it, it's movies. actually a tarot card. I saw that, yep. Yeah, it's kind of sweet, and uh, Donnie's face is actually, and the body is a skeleton, so I lo- I'm glad that you like it. Thanks. I, it's very, very cool, so. All right, but we're not here to talk about Eric's fabulous wardrobe and closet, which apparently now can match midges. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Just with a little bit of a darker, darker, yeah. darker tone. <laughs> So we'll go ahead and get right into the final season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So real quick, what I am, this is the uh, spoiler warning slash brief synopsis. So what IMDb says for season five's first episode, because they don't do, at least on the app, a season synopsis on IMDb. Midge worries about her future while Susie has a light bulb moment. What I says about this season is, I may not have always had the nicest things to say about this series, but even with all of its faults, I love this show. I fucking love it. Watching this final season had me smiling. I was just like, it was great to see some of these characters again. It was great to see some of the actors from Gilmore Girls pop up. It's good to see Kirk was still working in the 50s or what whatever time period that was he popped in. Kirk's but, a time lord. Um, <laughs> Kirk is a time lord. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I love this show. I don't know that I would have watched it if it hadn't been for this podcast and for Eric. So thank you, Eric, for suggesting this show for the podcast because uh, I, I love it. Again, even with all of its faults. It's I love it. It's a fun show. It makes me smile. It's funny, full of heart, all of that good stuff, and Tony Shalhoub. So, <laughs> with all of that said, let's go ahead and dig into this juicy, meaty brisket of an episode. So, Eric, what were your general thoughts on this fifth and final season? Uh, what did I think of Mrs. Maisel? Well, you remember last last season, on our last recording, I said season four really wasn't, you know, my favorite season there were things about it that i really wasn't a big fan of you mm-hmm. know this complete opposite mm-hmm. um this season to me 
has the same energy of Maisel season two, which is my favorite season of Mrs. Maisel. Okay. Um, it's they're almost right there on par with each other. I thought this was a brilliant send off for all of our characters. I think it took the second time around preparing for this show for me to appreciate it even more with the jump with the time with the jumping in time forward and backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, because the first time it really threw me off, but this time around I really learned to understand more why this was you know why we got these time jumps i mean i understood it the first time after like the first episode i got right. it but it's like second time i was like this makes a lot more yeah, sense you know? now i'm taking in. it more in you know because now i know what's happening mm-hmm. i feel like every single actor on this season on this show for this season um gave it their all in their performances i mean they always have but mm-hmm. i think they went the extra mile in this um it's just it, it was fun to watch at the same time, it was emotional to watch because this is within my top three favorite TV shows of all time. Wow. Um, possibly number two Ooh. on that list. Um, What's number one? Possibly number one on this list because I can't think of <laughs> what the first one would be. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'll get back to you on that. All right. Uh, but Maisel's definitely up there. Um you know, I feel like this 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 season brought a lot of things together that have been culminating for you know several seasons. You know, relationships. You know, the outcomes of you know what happened to a lot of these characters in their future, which I've learned to love that part of this mm-hmm. season and seeing how you know the, the how Midge has impacted her like her children, mm-hmm. her relationship with with you know. With, with Susie and, you know, with Joel, which, oh, my gosh, Joel this season. Oh, my season. God. Oh, my gosh. And also, I think one of the biggest and best parts of this show, uh, this season, was, honestly, was uh, uh, the really realizing that uh, Nikki and, um, oh, my God. What Frankie. Think? Frankie, thank you. Nikki and Frankie aren't just the big lubby-dubby gangsters that we have come to know over the last I four previous know. seasons. But I, I thought that it. was wonderful that we got that bit of, hey, we're, we're still gangsters, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that they put that in here. So, And I felt that was a development for their character, um, even though that's kind of who they've always been. We've mm-hmm. just never really seen it portrayed like that yeah. with our main characters. So, so much went right with this season. So very little went wrong. Um, if I had to give this season out of five stars... I would probably give it a 4.9 out of 5. And I don't even know what's constituting the 0.1 percentage <laughs> difference. I just don't want to be that guy saying 5 out of 5. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. I get you. I get you. Right on. Well, I I mean, I think out of all five seasons, this one might actually be my favorite. Oh, cool. I, I loved it so much. I thought it was a great final season. Mm-hmm. I thought it had a great series finale, which we will get to. Yep. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think it was a great send off for all of our main players. And we get the return of some friendly, some familiar faces, whether or not it was necessary. Jess, Mariano. I don't know if you were necessary, but your face is, I love seeing it. So I'm not going to complain too much. And yes, I'm calling these people by their Gilmore girls character names. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> I like it. No, you're I, I'm all about it. <laughs> so yeah, this was a great uh, season. 
and you knew, especially because it starts off with a time jump and we see how successful Midge has been, like, insanely successful. Mm-hmm. Like, who knew stand-up com- comics could be that successful when we see the shot of her house and everything in that final episode? Oh, jeez, yeah. Uh, so I loved, I loved seeing that Midge got as successful as she did, and then obviously how that all came about and how that all went down in that final episode sure. four minutes, which was so fucking good. Um, and just kind of in general, I mean, it's, I'll just go ahead and say it now. So we have discussed kind of, especially in the first two seasons, the lack of representation, the lack of people of color in the foreground and background of this series. And it seems like throughout its run, They've gotten better and better with incorporating people of color oh, sure. as, you know, um, supporting characters or just more people in the background speaking, non-speaking parts. Mm-hmm. So I will give the show credit for that. However, for me personally, because it was a big critique at the beginning, it felt very like forced, for lack of a better word, in in this final season. Mm, really? Yeah, it's just kind of like, and, and again, that's just me. Okay. Because I noticed it in the first couple of seasons, kind of the lack of, and now in this season, there were a lot more, again, from just people passing by in the streets, yeah. where we do see their face come in front of the camera, because they walk around someone, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. they interact with a person of color who may or may not have a speak, who whose role may or may not be speaking, right, whether sure. it's a receptionist, a security uh, door person, or even the actors at the uh, at the waste management um, uh, show that uh, mm-hmm. Frank and Nikki were putting on too. Yeah, there was uh, there were some black actors that were on the stage during Midge's set, and even uh, when he, she was walking around, she saw like mm-hmm. the girls in the flowers in the gardens. Yep. So yep. Yeah. yeah, so there. But again, it felt it. At least for me, it didn't feel as natural and as organic as it could have. Right. But I think that's because of the missteps in the earlier seasons. And we clearly sure. saw they they really did try to rectify that almost instantly within the second and third season, especially with the addition of Shy Baldwin's character and his crew and everything. Right. So I won't dog on it too much. Mm-hmm. Um because we did get some solid supporting characters. Dinah. 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 Oh, I love Dinah. Dinah was perfect. She was great for Susie. I will say I'm a little disappointed we didn't find out what happened to future Dinah. Yes, we did. They did made we? reference to it. Oh. So there was. So it was. Dur- it was at the roast, and when all the guys are gathered yes. around the table talking about you know speculate yes, all the speculation. Right. Dinah, like, runs New York now, basically. Yeah, okay. They, they didn't go too deep of details on that, but, yeah, she basically is, like, the person in New York, and it's okay. all because of her time with Susie. So. Okay. Then my apologies that I missed that. And that's also, like, my favorite episode of this season, too. Oh, we'll, we'll talk about that Oh, one. fuck yeah, we will. So, all in all, this story was very well told in its five-season arc. Mm-hmm. And don't really need any more than that. Any less than that would have felt rushed. Yeah. So this all felt like a very nice, a very, very well told kind of story, felt, well, well paced. When you look at it all on a, on, a, on a big grand scale, this really all feels like the Palandino's had it. Amy Sherman and Palandino had this plan from episode one 
to the very final episode. Mm-hmm. Like she knew in her mind how she wanted this to start and how she wanted it to end. Yeah. And like you said, it all flows very naturally. Yes, there were there are issues, you know, whatever. Sh- I, I mean, mean thing- very few shows are issue free. Exactly. Exactly. I'm looking at you, Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But no, you're right, though. I mean, the show in a whole is it, it, it's it's a masterful piece of tele of television and storytelling. Um, it's so well written. It's so well played. The actors are just top notch in every single way. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside again, aside from the, the, the few things that you and I have discussed, you know, over the past few shows about this, about that, you know, they could have done better. You know, mostly on the part of inclusion. I think mm-hmm. that's the that was our biggest gripe. But aside from that, I don't think there's really much, if anything at all, I would change about how this show was portrayed. And yes, I had in, it took to this season, but I came around to Alfie, okay? Because Alfie, <laughs> Alfie was hilarious in this in this last season. He was <laughs> so so funny. Oh the, my god! The best is when he just appeared when he's at the gordon fort yes. <laughs> he's like the fuck and he's like i'm magic it's like, and i was I'm like magic. i was like all right Al. I, I i admit like he kind of he grew up especially with that final moment with him yeah you know, i am glad we got it yeah and and his whole thing with the llama just at the hotel rooms uh just i've learned to come around to elfie and now he is a treasure that must be protected yes yes uh, that's good <laughs> So who else? Okay, which who is your favorite kind of side supporting characters? Not of the main cast, not a Maisel or a Weissman, but out of this season, was there anyone supporting that really stood out? As We're talking about in a whole between all five across all five seasons, or just all five seasons, or just this season? Lenny Bruce would be the mm-hmm. one I would choose. Lenny was the biggest influence, I believe, to Midge. Um, but for you personally, was there a character like like you just said, Alfie? You came around to Alfie. Oh yeah. So from this season, and we will get to Lenny Bruce because mm. oh Lenny Bruce. But okay, so I'll start. Mike. Mike is my hmm. MVP of okay. this season. All right, I see where you're going with this because he was hysterical. The way Susie drove him yeah, nuts. Susie, her the way he together. just would always flip her off, and he's on oh. the phone with Midge, and or no, he was. Bidge was on the phone to Susie, but she was she had talked to Mike, and Mike was like, "Give Susie a message," and gave her the <laughs> double, double finger. And, and her costing him at the at the at the tree farm with his yes, kid. and how Susie ruined Christmas oh for him, and how God, his tree sucks. The... <laughs> and and then and then his appearance at the roast, and how he's bullshitting about how George was his mentor and all this shit, but he actually fucking hated George yep. with a pet and all the shit he would talk about George, Mike was but not mike was marvelous in this final season i thought he was great and he eventually came around to Susie, where he's like let's do lunch sometime yeah and then and then also we see you know through my favorite episode how Susie kind of in turn helped mike get that executive producer (laughs) position because she got rid of george yep (laughs) um Mike, okay. Mike, out of this season, side side characters, MVP for me. Okay. God. All right. As much as I love Lenny Bruce, and I do believe he was probably the most important side character throughout the series. Yes. 
I am going to change my answer. Um, and I am actually going to go with Gordon Ford. Mm. Okay. Um, you know, very opposite kind of character as Mike. You know, he's more serious. You know, he's, he's you know, this is the way things work. You mm. know, no, no writers on the show. No one who works on the show comes on the show. But I think he was very, his character was so extremely important to this season and the way, and we needed him to be that character Mm -hmm. in order for the show to end the way it did. Because the show, I mean, it was always planned the show was going to end the way it was going to end. But when we're looking at it leading up to to that, you know, the four minute segment that lasted like seven minutes, I think Mm -hmm. in the end. Yep. He was so adamant in the end about not letting her get that spot. Mm-hmm. And she just took it. Yep. And you knew she was going to. It was yep. just a matter of when she, how. Yep. When she could look, got that nod from Joel, when she looked at him in the audience, he knew right away what she was going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they had that communication. But Gordon's role in this season, not just as the host of the Gordon Ford show, but also as someone who wanted to be like a lover to Midge, mm-hmm. you know, he wanted to be more than just, you know, boss. boss, you know, oh, his wife understands, which I really think that Gordon laid the structure for this season from beginning to end. And I don't think that, like I said, I don't think this season could have gone the way it did had Gordon Ford been more open to the idea of oh, Miriam or his writers going on the show. I like that he was... I hope this isn't taken out of context, but I like that he was more of the authoritative figure in this series because he went from being this this hard ass saying, no, you can't do this to maybe not coming around because he ended up firing her in the end. But But he had to to fulfill to still meet that rule. Right. But something I think I feel like after that, you kind of get the sense that maybe things are going to change on the Gordon Ford show. I don't know. Um, I think, well, and, and uh, you know, I don't necessarily disagree that mm-hmm. things would change on the Gordon Ford show, especially now that, you know, his resident lady writer oh, is a geez. resident lady comic. Lady, <laughs> lady, lady, lady writer. God. Oh, my God. I just somewhere in here, grin. I wrote somewhere in here. I wrote Gordon really given off this, uh, the, the, this sexist vibe, you oh, know, absolutely. lady, this lady, that. See, and I took it as, you know, Gordon still has his rule about no one who works on the show can be on the show. And that's why he fired Midge, Mm -hmm. because just before that, he told the audience that this was not going to be her last appearance on the show. Right. Yeah. So in order for him to stick to his bullshit rule. He had to fire her. He had to fire her. So that was like the best firing anyone could have ever hoped for. She was okay. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Now, my question is. Because I'm guessing maybe I missed this, but when Hetty went, Gordon's wife, yeah. and asked, and you know, heavy-handedly suggested that he put Midge on the show, she says to Gordon that he owes her. Yep. Uh, what did I miss? Okay, I have a theory about this. Does it have to do with how Hetty and Susan, 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 oh yeah, right? God. I don't think we've ever heard her referred to as Susan in the entire no. series, so that threw me off. Uh, remind me, do you remember which episode was that? Was that episode eight? Oh, here it is. The okay, ultimate or the final? Okay, I took a note on this because I have a theory. I could be completely wrong, one hundred percent, but I took it as a blackmail. 
he is very i have a feeling that he is very familiar with and we have to keep keep the times in mind during these during what the time period i think he's very familiar with her with her with her and her sexuality and she knows that she could ruin him by going to the by going public with it and i think that's why she's saying you owe me or that's that again that is my theory i could be completely wrong but there was never anything specifically stated that no, would there, make that have that line make there sense. wasn't but i can't think of anything else okay. that would make that line make right. sense because we see clearly that hetty had a relationship with Susie, so i'm led to believe that she has that hetty is gay it is my opinion bisexual. that she, bisexual fine but that i was think my take anyway i'm sorry Oh, no, it's, it's all right. I mean, but also I'm just taking into consideration the time period of all this. It's not as easy. It wasn't as easy back then for even a bisexual woman to come out and admit that she is bisexual. It's easier for them to say, this is my husband. You mm-hmm. know, I love my husband, blah, blah, blah. So I think personally she would have if she wouldn't have done this, maybe she would have gone public threatening to ruin his career. But see, it would have, again, with the times, she, her ta- her career would have tanked. Yes. Whatever career that may have been. She seemed more, she seemed really powerful, doesn't, doesn't she? Did. She did. Like, yeah. maybe some sort of socialite as Mrs. Gordon Ford kind of thing. Oh, maybe, yeah. Um, I didn't really get a good sense of what Hetty actually did for a but living. But she had a lot of pull. She had pull. Whether it was just Absolutely. with Gordon, she had influence. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um. I don't know. Uh, I think okay. that's just one of those things we're going to speculate about. I mean, did, do you have an opinion on it? The only other thing, speculation that I had was that, you know, because Gordon told Midge during the ice skating bit that, you know, he's married, but they're very open. So right. you get this, he paints this picture of them having a very open relationship. They they both can kind of, because he says that, you know, his wife is different or whatever. And then we find out, oh, yes, because she also likes the lady ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. The ladies. The ladies. The lady ones. That maybe it was more one-sided than mm. we were originally led to believe. Sure. Where, so maybe Hetty is a lesbian marrying Gordon Ford for the image. Sure. Right? Gordon gets to skirt around. She gets to skirt around. They have an understanding. They have that. Un- maybe yeah. that's what their understanding was, was that they both so do you are think allowed to cheat. I'd, well, not cheat if it's open. I but. didn't get this impression by Gordon Ford through the series, but maybe. Um, all right. Let's say we're spectators. We're, we're, we're let's, of the Gordon Ford show. We're we're watching him on television. Would we do you think they would be trying to give off the impression that he's kind of more of a whole, more wholesome person more of a traditionalist you know <laughs> traditionalist throwing right. that up in air quotes um and maybe hetty going forward with any of this information could ruin his image you yes, know that so could absolutely be okay another another thing so it's an it's an interesting thing to think about because again times were different back then and again i mean it's, it wasn't as easy then to come out with those kind of things as it is now mm-hmm. but it's yeah, I mean, I really think that there is some involvement in some way in that line that has to do with her in some fashion possibly ruining his career. Right. You know? Um, Something. And he is not willing to take that risk in any way, shape, or form because he knows that she has power over him. Power is yeah, a sense yeah. as, like the bla- as far as blackmail goes. Right, right. Right. 
Because when she said that, so yeah, that happened in episode eight. Because I was like, or in the second to last episode, penultimate. Um, because I was I was hoping to get that question answered in the finale. I think I was too. Yeah, and I didn't. So then I was like, shit, did I miss something? I was like, hopefully Eric paid attention. Maybe they maybe they left that up in the air on purpose though. Maybe. You know, or maybe it was just something said passing, like, real quick in passing that I missed, like I missed with the uh, Dina, Dina yeah, yeah. comment, which after you mentioned it, I was like, yes, they now But I've watched the show twice now. You've watched it once, and I both times I watched it, I haven't picked up on it, any explanation as to why she would say what she said to him. Okay. So right. to me, it's all in, it's all up in the air. Sure. So well, that can uh, be that's you know Amy if you're if you ever listen to this episode <laughs> please uh tweet Jen with uh, an explanation cuz we want to know. Yeah. And any other fans of the show if you have theories or know or actually know what the hell's happening with why she's got that power over Gordon let me know because I totally missed it. Cuz these but, are just fan theories right now we don't yeah, know. Yeah, oh absolutely. Yeah. So but I definitely got the I got the sense that Hetty was not super closeted didn't really strike me as that either you know um, maybe not loud and proud and out and open but also not she knew she knew who she was in herself yeah yes. right right you know because with Susie, it's never really said one this is kind of the first time in the series we get yep. any kind of confirmation of any past relationships yeah with Susie. it was very vaguely hinted at in season four when uh Miriam took Susie uh, uh, to uh, to the gay bar in New York. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. But yes. Susie was like offended that she would even bring yep. her there. So maybe maybe as an audience, you know, or as a spectator, we're like, oh, well, maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. not. Maybe she's just asexual or whatever. Right. So. Exactly. But yeah, so Susie, I loved. I mean, how do you not love Susie oh, first and foremost? Of course. You know, so her that character arc for the whole series was amazing to watch yeah. and i'm i loved it uh alex borstein did an amazing job with this character i mean as we have said in the past four episodes that we have done <laughs> covering the show <laughs> so my favorite as i said was that middle episode the testerosteel testerosteel yep so i loved it because it felt like it added to this lore of Susie Meyerson mm-hmm. because we're getting these stories second, third, fourth hand. Yep. And while yep. there were some versions, you know, like the one guy, like when Harry died. Yeah. And, you know, and all the guys are after, after the roast are all like, well, I heard this and I heard that those were really fun to watch. Yep. Um, kind of what they thought had happened. But then the one guy was like, well, my sister or my sister-in-law was a nurse. And so this is what happened. Right. So that right. was a bit more of truth. Whereas I feel like everything else that they discussed, because they heard, but I couldn't help but feel like maybe there's a little embellishment here and there. So where because we're not getting it firsthand, we're not seeing it firsthand as we have seen every other scene with these characters. These are these are second, third hand stories and yeah, yeah. how how it's being portrayed. It's all it, yeah. I mean, everything they were discussing is all hearsay. I heard this from mm-hmm. this person. I heard this from that person, and. Like, none of them were actually there. You right. know what I mean? Exactly. And and I really loved that because, again, it adds to the lore of Susie. And as we see through these stories, the, the three in an hour, 
the the crown at the at the golf course. Oh yeah. Oh, that was good. She, she Susie created Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay, <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> I loved that. And all these little nuggets <laughs> of how she was involved with this and. And her comic gets in yeah. it gets in the one movie that I don't remember what it was, but it was a really big movie. And we also and, learned that she ended up becoming like the top entertainment manager in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, she managed some of the biggest talents: Liza Minnelli, uh, George Carlin. Yes. Um, there were a couple more that oh they. Oh my named. god! They name dropped as many people yeah, as they could, and it's like. Look at where Susie came from just to a little, you know, person working in the gaslight. Did we ever, you know what I've never thought about? Hmm. What exactly did Susie do at the gaslight? We know she worked there. She was just like the manager slash talent. Okay. All right. Well, whatever. Um, (laughs) Back to my point. Um, You know, she just goes from this like little manager, talent scout, whatever for the gaslight to the world's largest and leading entertainment manager well i said in the world so uh in the world um it's just it's so cool to see how far she has come but also at the same time this is what when you gain that kind of power that's when a lot of people are going to start talking about how you gain that power Mm -hmm. and that scene where all the guys are talking about you know i heard this i heard that one, it's a testament to truly how far she's come mm-hmm. because every single one of those stories, no matter how elaborate it was, all ended the same way with her being on that stage, being yep. roasted with the power that she has. Mm-hmm. So no matter how it happened, she succeeded. Yep. But I do like the fact that out of everybody who came in and chimed in and gave their stories, I like that Mike was one of them. Yes. Because Mike, I felt like his story you know, he came in and he started talking about how, you know, the relationship between him and Midge kind of split, you know, and what him could and Midge? Uh, him and Midge, her and Midge. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it had to do with everything that went down in the in the synagogue with Joel, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and just God, that was tr- the most tragic part of this season, I felt like was Joel, in my opinion. <laughs> but um, I really felt like. From where those two started to up until that moment when Mike was telling that story, it showed how far their relationship had Absolutely. come. Absolutely. And he said, you know, he's like, I don't, you know, Miriam has her story, her her, her side of the story. She, Susie has her side of the story, but I'm able to kind of put the pieces together and yep. figure out. Yeah, because he had gotten, because he heard, he heard Susie's side one night when she was hammered. Yep. And then another night he heard Midge's side when she was hammered. Yep. And what we got was the, the pieces that meshed right exactly but it's just it's a testament to the character of Susie Meyerson and I love how far you know the writers were willing to take her character and to you know and just make her who she is I don't really know how better to explain it I'm trying to find the right words but I really loved the test of Rostiel because it really won it's a sta- it's the standout episode of mm-hmm. the season I, I feel. I think this one had the most. Uh, also had the most cameos. Uh, yes, because we got Doyle. We, we got, got Doyle. Kirk. We got Will Kirk. Sasso. Will he, Sasso. Yes. He and Alex used to be on Mad TV together. Nice. Yeah. Um, who? Else? Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Well, still, I mean, it. This was really a fun. This was a fun episode to watch because we just at this point we learned the history of Susie Meyerson as an entertainment manager. 
and just how far she was willing to go. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I think that we got I got a little sidetracked uh, with the Mike story, but we were talking about the Harry Drake stuff. Mm-hmm. If I had to pick any of those stories to believe, it would be the one where she was by his bedside the whole time. Oh, because absolutely. Despite the relationship those two had for the first couple seasons, that rocky back and forth, there was an equal amount of respect there for one another. Mm-hmm. Harry gave her a lot of shit and was really upset that he stole his top that she stole his top client, but still they had a very mutual respect for each other, uh, I think personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. And I don't I think it's completely out of character for Susie to fuck someone over in the way that some of those stories were elaborating, you know? Oh, yeah. There was no way. I, I don't believe Susie was there trying to swindle Swindles. Harry's signature while he's kind of in and out of it. Exactly. And getting, her, getting his daughter involved with that, too, you yep. know, and not allowing his family to come and yep. see him. No way. That's, That's not, not Susie. Susie. Susie would have been awkward when the family showed up and she had bailed. She would have been like, if the uh, family had. Susie would have been like, ah, uh, yeah, go fuck yourself. Yeah, I, I will <laughs> go fuck yourself, <laughs> Harry. <laughs> Tell Jesus I said hi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved. I really liked how they brought that around and showed the closeness between Susie and Harry, where she she thanked him for believing in her and seeing uh, what he saw in her and giving her that chance. Mm-hmm. And then him telling her that he was going to sign over his bigger, big name. I think Lucille Ball was one of them. Probably, yeah. And she was like, no, Harry, no. And he's like, "They're." he's like, I've already talked to him. They're on board. It's all, it's happening. Mm-hmm. And Harry's like, you're the only one I trust. I think says a lot. Mm-hmm. And really goes to show how their relationship grew over the years since, you know, like season two or whatever to yeah. this future point of them respecting each other mm-hmm. and building that friendship, both personal and professional, Yeah, where Susie was the only one in the room when, when it was his time. And she even gets the okay nod from the nurse to go ahead and pretend to be oh, Harry's daughter. Right. Yeah. Oh, that was so sad. that he and I that was so sad. And I thought it was actually really lovely, too, because. It, it gives him a chance to go at peace, yeah. you know what I mean, versus holding on to my daughter never showed up. Yeah. So he gets he, he gets get- to pass away in peace thinking she was there. But let's be honest, during that time between season two and this and the time Harry died, I am sure Susie became just as much of a daughter to him as his probably non-existent daughter. You might well, be right. Not non-existent, but the daughter that didn't show up. Right, right. So I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was a nice little wrap up to the Susie and Harry story. It was. It um, really was. And we talked a little bit about Frankie and Nikki. Yep. And the goon her like I loved that. You know, I think I had in my notes, I was like, Susie's goons. But then we learned that they're not Susie's goons. She's their... I'll say it. Property. Yeah. Yep, basically. They own Susie. They own Susie. They're just really nice to her. They're just... I love how nice they're, they are. They're they willing to get... They, 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 they're willing to do nice things for Susie. She's from the block mm-hmm. or the neighborhood. Yep. And, you know... They have a soft spot for her. They don't mind as long as they get their cut. Yep. 
So, and they're still, you know, they're still businessmen, gangster businessmen at the end of the day mm-hmm. because of that second performance of the waste, waste management, management thing, number. Yeah. Which, which was... first of all, that shit went on way too long. The musical numbers for the waste management, because we saw them all at first mm-hmm. from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is too long and unnecessary. I didn't need to see Tess singing on top of a pile of garbage. Yeah, that was awkward. These these music, which I love that, you know, Tess showed up at Susie's roast and was a giant embarrassment. And no, but you I, get that sense that Susie yeah. was there to take care of her sister. Give her her, her number one disco hit in... Move her to the other side of the what, of the planet. What, do you remember the country? <laughs> I don't remember the country. Indonesia. I think it, was, yes, it may have been Indonesia. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so... So I did like, so as a side, I like that Susie was ultimately there for Tess and, yeah. and helped Tess realize her dreams, as ill-fated as they were, <laughs> um, but to provide right. for her sister. And I felt so. like that may have been really all we needed of Tess for this season is to bring her into the roast. I, you're right. I don't feel like it was really necessary to have her portrayed in the musical act well, because that did. the whole musical bits itself because there were like three numbers that we saw from beginning to end. I found it as useless and time consuming as the one random ass musical number in the uh, year in the life of the Gilmore girls. So mm. the reboot or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're trying to do the stars hollow play. And they had one musical number that just went on way too fucking long. I was like, no, you can show me a film by Kirk as many times as you want, because that is art. <laughs> this is i mean quite literally trash <laughs> mm, yep. so the second time they showed all of that where midge is less into it and she's just like eating an apple and bumming around on the stage i was glad that we didn't have to see the full numbers again i was really worried that they're gonna make us sit through that <laughs> oh, the second gosh. time i agree that would have been dreadful to sit through twice like but that second that that second that second time around was a lot was a lot easier. I feel like for oh, us yeah. as viewers because one we didn't have to deal with it again, mm-hmm. and two we actually saw how Midge is able to not just not just be upset about a situation, but how she's able to carry her just carry that anger over into places where it doesn't belong. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I'm glad that we didn't get a full musical again because you're right it did go on too long and it was a fairly unnecessary thing to do but it also was necessary for the app for, for basically how everything else turned out after that mm-hmm. you know because had she gone up there and just done her thing the way she did the night before we wouldn't have gotten mean frank and nikki you yes, know yeah and i don't like frank and nikki being mean to Susie. i don't, I don't like, like that it. either i was like oh damn you guys are still gangsters yeah. it's like i wanted you to be lovable i mean you're still lovable because i think another moment we see a softer side of frankie and nikki uh was when joel went into the lion's den went into their bar during their christmas party and laid it all out and he was like come on you have kids and they, Frankie and Nikki both kind of look at each other. You can tell they're starting to soften. They'll be like, we'll be right back. And they go take it to the boss. And they come back and they're like, all right, fine. Mm-hmm. And they agree to the deal. 
They didn't have to, yeah. but I think they did because they do have a soft spot for Susie Midge. And I think they respected a bit of what Joel did, just walking in there, just big old brass balls yeah. of like, this is what we're doing. You can you can have me. Yep. And giving himself up at, you know, clean record, all of that to be that front, to be their front. And then Frankie and Nikki get up from the table. And I don't remember if it was Frankie or because I can't remember who is who. Um, uh, Nikki's the bigger one. Frankie is the, uh, taller one. Yeah. So yeah. So Frankie, they get up and Frankie turns to Joel and he's like, happy Hanukkah. Mm. I was like, that was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> that was very considerate. He could have been an asshole and just said Merry Christmas, but he knew that Joel's Jewish. Yeah. And so he respected that. So. That's a good point. You know what? I didn't even think about that. I, you know, I love, I love those guys. I, you know, they're gangsters, they're thugs, whatever you want to call them. And yeah, they were taking a lot from Midge and Susie, but I liked seeing these softer sides again, like when they let Susie live, when they didn't kill her that first time. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> show would have turned out very differently had they yeah, done it. Yeah, it would have been a real short show. <laughs> And yet, somehow, the same number of hours for a podcast. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> it's so funny, though, because, you know, you know, you talk about how, you know, when Joel went into, you know, went into the lion's den, you know, it's that was the beginning of the end of for Joel, basically. Mm-hmm. And like I, you know, I said before, you know, Joel's story, I felt like was the most tragic of everyone in this as far as their as far as the endings go for these characters. But I do love that Joel and Miriam always maintain that relationship with each other you mm-hmm. know and she went to go visit him in prison and she would bring him headshots so the other inmates well you know <laughs> yeah and That's i love right. that conversation where she was not even bothered by it <laughs> oh and yeah he wanted to get the panty pose <laughs> yep. and she said she would try to dig up uh <laughs> dig up pictures um you know and but joel joel was amazing and you know this season he absolutely was aside from you know him you know stepping in front of the bullet for her you mm-hmm. know in that episode just watching him in midge's relationship progress to what it began what it was you know or what actually i should say what it ended up still being in the end you know all those mm-hmm. years later i love that they always had that respect for each other and i was a little upset that we didn't fully get this but it's okay there's that that scene um i think it was when they went to go visit ethan's teacher and they were both like totally terrified of her, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. And it was after the meeting. I think that's when Joel asked Miriam if he wanted, she wanted to go and have a drink with him. Yeah. You know, and she was said she was just she said something like I would love to or something like that. It's like you got the mm-hmm. sense that oh they're gonna get back together. Mm-hmm. Well, and they also had a moment out on um, a fire escape. Where they're talking, oh, yeah, they're bickering, right. and then they end in a kiss. Yep, yep, yep. And then she's like, I have to go tell di- diaper jokes on a boat. And he's like, that sounds made up. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yes, I, I love that they were always just within orbit of each other. Yeah. You know, clearly they did not end up together because Future Midge talks about three failed marriages. Yeah. So assuming Joel was one and then... Two yeah. were just two others because yeah. now he's in prison. <laughs> I just like that they always, I mean, that's how you co-parent people, goddammit, even though they were terrible parents. And I love that they kind of, at least Midge kind of cops to that a little bit in this mm-hmm. season. Yeah. Because we see that with adult Esther, but she's a genius. 
um, clearly ADHD. Clearly. As a motherfucker. Yeah. So. <laughs> no doubt about that. I was like, oh my God. Because at first I was like, I was like, is this, is this Esther? You know, future Esther? And, I was, and then the actress did a really good job. Did, kind didn't of she? like an um, a Maisel, like Midge's daughter in a lot of mannerisms. And yeah. The way she spoke and kind of carried herself I felt herself like the actress kind of bit. looked like her a little bit too. Yeah. yeah so, that was, that was a, she was very well cast. I thought so too. And she didn't get a whole hell of a lot of screen time, but I, I liked, I really liked adult Esther um, <laughs> and adult Ethan. I couldn't help but think, oh. Moish and Shirley would have been so proud that Ethan oh, went to uh, became, rabbi school. Or, yeah, and he was he was also a farmer, yep. and uh, he was uh, he got uh, engaged to a very very scary woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least Midge was scared, terrified of her. Um, well, I liked how like she the lady the would, <laughs> Ethan's wife would talk shit about Midge in in Yiddish. And Mitch turned around. She's like, I understand some of it. <laughs> you know, and I actually have a note here where I said during her act, this is during the uh, Gordon Ford segment. Um, I said during her act, Smith, uh, Miriam kind of predicted that her kids would uh, her kids would grow up, would grow up, uh, grow up hating her. And I don't think they hated her, but I feel like there was resentment there from the children. Well, and we only see grown up them. We don't see the, this teen version, these teens in yeah. early twenties. Well, I guess they were probably still early. Well, either way, we didn't see a whole chunk of time where that resentment, I'm sure, probably grew, and they had a very tumultuous relationship because they're they're fodder for her act. She's always on the road. She's clearly very successful as a stand up comedian. So you assume. She's not home, and you assume she's not bringing the kids along. Yeah. You know, where, you know, staying back with Joel or Imogene, whomever is around to continue to raise the kids while while Midge is on tour and doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but I did like how they more or less kind of, because we've talked about, too, how, how they are very neglectful parents. Like, like in the Catskills, and they straight up forgot oh, one God. in the car <laughs> they or left something. Oh, God, in the car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, the cat scales is and so even in, the best. And even in Midge's final bit, you know, yes, it was a bit where she's like, I can't remember my children's name. But then she brings it around and she's mm-hmm. like, she gets all serious and deep. And then she's like, Esther and Ethan, I knew I'd remember it. Thank you and good night kind of yeah. wrap up. But I did really appreciate how they kind of maybe not head on addressed it that they were <laughs> uh, <a> non-existent <laughs> parents. But that they're still around. You know, they still care for their kids. Midge yeah. still cares about her kids. I think future Midge also knows that she kind of fucked up. You know, that her career put a strain on her, the relationship with her kids. Yeah. Because I, I got that more from her time with adult Ethan than with adult Esther. Yeah, yeah. There was just something about the way she interacted, the way her and Ethan interacted and the way she kind of looked at him where it's like i don't know i kind of got that sense where she's like she felt maybe a little bit bad that she wasn't a more attentive or more around yeah. um but she she clearly loves her kids right right so. i mean i think it's better that she's trying to form in that form a bond with them at least at some point in their life you know instead of just kind of not doing it at all mm-hmm. and i think i don't know if a lot of that is you know from guilt of not being there. I mean, I'm sure part of it is, mm-hmm. 
but I also I got the sense that Miriam wanted to atone for not being there for her for for her children and maybe using them as fodder for her acts because I bet that effect I mean I I mean I'm sure that affected their mentality oh sure you know especially with how famous she is so it's not like people don't know that they're her kids mm-hmm. and might actually end up they may just not end up being the brunt of her jokes you know mm-hmm. they could have grown up being you know the brunt of other people's jokes as well because of their because of their mom and you know what are you going to do you know so it got to be a little traumatizing for them in a way just to kind of live that kind of life um and uh you know they don't go over exactly what their child you know their teenage years were like but you know kids are mean and when your mom's rich and famous and the biggest star in the world, kids are going to know who she is. And mm-hmm. they're probably going to hear her albums, hear her, you know, her shows, hear them talk about the kids and mm-hmm. hear her talk about the kids. And then, uh, you know, kids are probably going to use that against her kids. You know, yeah. I didn't expect to go that deep about that, but damn. <laughs> I will say I'll wrap up Ethan and Esther with I love that we see them in the first couple of episodes, mm-hmm. adult them. And then never again in the rest, in any of the flash forwards, do we see adult Ethan and Esther ever again. (laughs) I have no idea. I kind of hope so. But I did notice young Ethan and Esther got more airtime and more lines and a bit more. Ethan's like whole sleeping thing in the hallway. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. And Abe being good old Abe and trying to tell Ethan that you know you just kind of have to toughen up life sucks and have you heard about this terrible thing and this terrible thing and all these people die (laughs) (laughs) it's just taking gigantic steps back to what Midge and Joel were trying to accomplish that is so funny but Abe we love Abe I love Abe we love Tony Shalhoub who doesn't I will say that he was in top form this season mm-hmm. as to be expected mm-hmm. and he's the one constant on this show that has never failed exactly mm-hmm. and my favorite and maybe it's yours too mm. abe moment yeah is that moment after he realizes esther's the genius and not ethan because ethan's happy when he's at and dinner. that's a whole other fucking thing they're happy what the hell is that supposed to mean are they is this disability is this ableism like coded ableism clearly in this rich fancy pants oh you're talking about the happy group oh yeah but aside from that when abe realizes that esther's the genius and it's not the firstborn mazel or wiseman son son yeah um that's always the genius and he has that moment of clarity with digger (laughs) yep another gilmore girls character um and those other guys about basically how men have fucked everything up and it's there i loved it it just goes to show that abe as stubborn as he is and as not fickle but as stubborn as he is and hard to budge when he has those moments of clarity clear blue skies from as far as the eye can see and he gets it and he doesn't backtrack off and he doesn't backtrack just like i think it was last season you know after he got fired from columbia and the whole like living in not living but not living in paris Mm -hmm. like the way he kind of came around to all of that for rose yeah right like he is capable of change yeah 
Um, I think he is capable of change a little faster than Rose. Definitely. But Rose, as we saw in the final episode, is clearly capable of change, is clearly capable of coming around and accepting her daughter for uh, who she is and for what she does and the fact that she is funny because mm-hmm. Midge tells one joke during the court at her four minutes some about her mom <laughs> the camera cuts to Rose and she's like well that's fair yeah <laughs> I think that was about uh something about a, a wardrobe or it's had yeah. something to do with the, something to do with clothing oh like like uh she feels bad for her daughter her daughter's gonna be traumatized when she yes. takes her clothes shopping for the yeah. first time and yeah. Rose was like that's fair yeah yeah oh, Rose you fucking gem you oh uh, uh, yeah we'll talk about we'll, we'll get into Rose Rose was fucking amazing by the way this season good God was she so good she really uh, everyone was. was but yeah but, so Abe and my favorite Abeism the moment where he says never mind I can't pretend to care <laughs> <laughs> it is like the best Abeism that perfectly encompasses all abism yeah abism, abism. It, now it, I can't say it, it. it really is it, it it basically it it if there was ever a quote that had to describe abe weissman it would be that could that line right there never mind i can't pretend to care and that's during that's because he was so distraught about the misspelling of a name and issuing the like he was so distraught for like two yeah. fucking episodes maybe not that long but <laughs> um so that is definitely one of my favorite Abe moments in the series i would say that's my second favorite Abe moment uh because i really love how he came around to realizing how wonderful his daughter is mm-hmm. my daughter is a i think he says my daughter is a wonderful person or something like something along those lines and he's just, let's face it, Abe, for as easy it is it is for him to come around to things, once he realizes there is something to come around to, he is a stubborn person because he is stuck in his ways, you know? We never know about, we don't know anything about his father, but something tells me this is the way he is, is carried on from generation to generation of Weissman men. Oh, yeah. We get a little taste where he's like, you don't talk to him for the first six years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then he calls out Joel. <laughs> oh, yo, good times. Good times. Oh, that was so good. But my favorite Abe moment didn't exist. It involved Abe, but it also involved Rose and it involved Miriam. But Abe was the one who caught what was going on. And then once he realized what was being said, everyone else got involved. And this is why it's my favorite Abe moment. And it's also one of my favorite moments of the season. And what I think might be one of the more underrated parts of the season, Zelda's wedding. <laughs> and when Zelda and Janusz are saying their vows and Janusz tells her that she never have to work again. Mm-hmm. And Abe overhears this and he's they like, fixate on it. And he's just, and he's, just so exactly so fixated on that part of it that he ends up getting Rose involved and then Miriam ends up getting involved and I think Joel ends up getting bit, involved. Yeah, he's and like, the, well, I pick him up on these days. And, and the only people who are truly happy for Zelda are Moish and Shirley. <laughs> 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 and it's just so funny because Abe is the one who caught it. And he's just like, what did, she, what did he say? Mm-hmm. And he's like, 
just so we're clear. Mm -hmm. uh, when does this start? About like in a week, at end of the month? Are we talking or? week, end of the month? Because Rose has year. a thing and she's, <laughs> she's going to need help. Playing. And then Miriam gets involved talking about picking up the kids. It's just, it all escalates oh because of Abe's just mm -hmm. recognizing what, what, what Janusz was saying. And I got to say that that moment just stuck out to me because it was so it was so funny mm -hmm. it was just a domino effect oh, that yeah. started with him first <laughs> yep and then real quick with zelda and janush love it love oh. that zelda got married i too was confused at who this strange man was in their apartment in episode yeah. one also assuming it was a handyman and then i was just like abe and rose and miriam when they realized that it was her boyfriend slash fiance and not just a handyman. Yeah. I, I was the Weissmans in that same exact. <laughs> I was like, oh, what? Oh, that's okay. funny. Go Zelda. Hell yeah, go your, Zelda. Get you some. And then and poor Zelda getting pulled back in because oh, the Weissmans don't know how to read a fucking manual. I was just about to say, and how much can we at least appreciate the fact that she tried so hard to make sure that they knew how to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. She wrote them a book mm -hmm. of how to do things around the house, even how to get the uh, how to get the igniter going on, yep. the, on the oven or on the stove. Yep, because it was listed and it was like filed under like making tea yeah because that's where she was thinking rose would most li like why can't i make tea well there's a whole little chapter on making tea and well, then even after the like... fact they're just like what book what book what oh are you talking the about whole, whole rest of the time it's like are you not listening to her <laughs> no of course not uh, so. and then ethan ends up in that same episode uh clogging the tub with a like a ship yep. or something and then Janos is just like or no miriam miriam's like we're so glad so glad you were here and he's like yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame Janusz. You know, he wants to spend time with his wife and, and build their life together and bless Zelda and not being able to just leave the Wisemans to their own devices because yeah. they blow up the building. And <laughs> oh, man. But Zelda just trying to trying to make Janusz happy and to be there to help the Wisemans. By making that secret phone call in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. So like, you talk I, on the phone for a very long time. <laughs> so I just, I love that we got a bit, I love that Zelda kind of got like a nice little happy ending. Yeah. You know, finds a nice, a nice man who's very handy. Um, so I'm glad that she got an ending and we're not just Absolutely. left with like what happened to zelda yeah exactly. like oh she's just gonna be there she was just some obscure background character exactly. exactly she was she may have not have always gotten the most screen time but i think obviously she played a major role in the weissman's oh, lives because without zelda they all would have starved to death Absolutely. let's face it you know Absolutely. So. but i want to just go back to abe real quick because yeah, yeah. when do we not want to talk about abe and i'm done with zelda and janush i just i am get too that out there. but um, so, well, still the, the moment from the wedding, mm -hmm. the moment of clarity, mm -hmm. one other moment that really stuck out with me. I'm going to call this the moment of sexuality. <gasps> when he feels up Digger <laughs> or he first, he gets felt up well, at the dinner yes. with Penelope or at the lunch with Penelope. Yes, yes. Yes. I was like, wait, I don't think Digger was there. Yes. When he, when Penelope puts her hand on it, on, yes. on his leg and he's just like, 
yeah like he's so nervous at oh that God. moment and like it's so adorable oh it's so so cute it's so it's it's so unbelievably abe yes and then he's talking about he's talking to digger after on finding out if it was actually a sexual intention and digger's like yeah it totally was he was like oh, it wasn't even seven o'clock or something yep. like that and then he takes rose out to dinner i think it may have been the same restaurant same place yep. yep and he puts his hand on her her leg and she's like oh well, it is after seven. It is after seven. But she even checks her watch. But it's like he's not sitting close <laughs> enough to her, so he's still leaned over, and it's not like it's really weird looking, very awkward. You yeah. Know? But I love that part too because yeah, he he Abe gets felt up, gets uncomfortable, goes back to the village voice, talks to Digger, air quotes Digger. I don't know what his character's name is in this show. It doesn't matter. He's Digger. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, I'm pretty sure I wrote it down here somewhere. He Gabe. His name is Gabe. It doesn't matter. It's, it's Digger. Digger. So he, he demonstrates the hand placement on Digger. <laughs> 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 my note is like, oh my God, Abe is feeling up Digger. That was it. <laughs> I actually love that scene too, because at that same time where Digger finds out uh, that, you know, one of his co-workers is gay and that he yeah. thought that, you know, the man that he's always with was like, um, I don't remember, like a, a roommate, roommate or something. Yeah. Or, and he was like, God, I really got to start paying more attention to my, to my co-workers, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, so I would say though, there are a lot of great A moments this season. You can't just really narrow it. I'm sure we could make a, a full list, but if I had to pick three, Yeah. The wedding, the moment of clarity, the moment of sexuality. Those were yeah. my three favorite eight moments this season. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as we said, Rose also eventually comes around. Yeah. You know, but when it was, you know, when they're trying to get word out to Rose that Midge was going to finally be on the Gordon Ford, how hurt and upset Rose initially was, and just being that classic stubborn, like, Telling Abe, well, she invited you, so you go and just tell me how it is yeah. and the whole thing. And she's like, if it was so important, she would have called me herself. Right. Well, and then come to find out that, of course, the phone has been off the hook for the last four hours. Everyone's been trying to get a hold of her. Yep, yep. And it wasn't the fact that Midge was going to be on TV. It was the fact that Midge got so many people involved to make sure Rose knew of this news yeah. and the news really could have been anything. I swear to God, Midge could have gotten a new hairstyle. Yeah. And if that many people were trying to call Rose to let her know, Rose, I feel like would have had the same kind of sentimental reaction because really it's all about Rose. And but Rose likes to feel like she belongs and that she's what in that, and that, that people want her around too. I mean, it, it's good to feel that way, but it, for in her, in some cases it can also be a little, little self, little, little, little self-centered. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and she digs back to like, well, how long did she lie to us about this and yeah, that and, exactly. and all of, you know, and all of everything in the last four seasons. But even Abe said to her, it's like, what reason would she have to lie? You know, it's like, come on, Rose, get over yourself right now. Your exactly. daughter's having the moment of her life and she wants you there for support. Yes, this isn't about you and how your feelings were hurt. There is a time and place for that. Yeah. This is not it. So I thought it was really kind of funny and cute and pretty on par for the character to come around because, and she even tells Miriam, she's like, she was so touched that Miriam had so many people trying to get a hold of her. Yeah. Not 
I'm so proud of you for finally getting on the show. The it's still about you, Rose. It's still about Rose. Nope, and that's a, that's a good catch right there. But by the end of Miriam's set, she was so proud. She finally gets it. She finally got what Miriam did. It's she, not the same as prostitution. <laughs> they are different things. <laughs> oh. oh my God. Love your Rose. Love oh. your Rose Wiseman. Yeah, crazy and old how lady. We see after that, after the after the four minutes, we see how her and Rose's relationship even uh, how that was at you know once mm-hmm. she got got famous. We didn't see a whole lot of Rose in the future, but we did see Rose in the nineteen. I think it was in the seventies where she was doing her commercial for her mm-hmm. you know for her uh, uh, for her Match business making, matchmaking yeah. business. Yeah, and how they did like almost two hundred takes. And Miriam was just like, I don't give a shit if it takes a thousand, you know, mm-hmm. Well, and we're even, gonna make this right. You know, yeah, and they someone and then also Susie were trying to tell Midge how expensive, how draining it is to do all these commercials to, you know, instead of you know, because they bought the place as opposed to renting it. Yeah. You know, because that's that's very a very rose thing. And I loved that in that moment, Miriam's like, nope, she, we will do this for as long as she wants to for the time that she has left on yep. on this planet. Right. And then Rose comes in. She's got big ideas because she finally nailed the commercial after 200 plus takes and <laughs> testimonials and bringing people mm-hmm. in. And and Miriam's like, that sounds great, Mama. Yeah, she had the look on her face that kind of said, oh, man, this is going to be a drain Mm -hmm. but she was willing to take on the drain and bring other people down with it Mm -hmm. for the sake of her mother because that's how much she loves her mom you know and we were talking about how future mary you know successful miriam may have been a more absentee mother because of all the touring yeah well right after rose has this big idea of doing the testimonials and miriam's like yes she tells Susie book the next tour you know book this tour you know this show wherever that was pending clearly to pay for it so maybe that's another reason why miriam was gone so long assuming that she was you know was to also help finance her mom's job and to make her mom happy that's a good point i didn't think about i didn't think about that until just now either but it's like she did turn around and tell Susie, like all right let's book that next tour yeah right because she knew rose was gonna rose's plans were going to be very 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 expensive you know what um you know what part of this season actually made me a little sad it was just a little it was a little snippet and it was actually i think meant to be a kind of a comical line but to me it was just like oh that's a little it's a little sad to think about it had something to do with clothes because when it involves miriam and, and her mother it usually has to do with clothes in some way she said it had to deal with someone's outfit i think maybe her own and she said my mother would be rolling over in her grave if she saw me wearing this something along those lines and it made me sad to think that at this particular point now rose is gone yeah you know which likely abe is gone too you know yeah so it just you know you we we spent five seasons with these with, with these characters you know in every single episode and even though they're with us in you know every episode this last season we're now at a point in the in the show where it's like Okay, you know we're we're yeah we're going into the future. We're seeing how how, how life is treated. You know our characters, 
But now we're so far into the future where two of our main antagonists are no longer no longer with us, and that was referenced mm-hmm. in that brief moment. And it was like, man, that's that sucks. I'd like to think of Rose and Abe as kind of immortal in a way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's to be expected, you know, with the time jumps and everything. Of course. But we didn't need it said. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We didn't need it actually. Let me just believe that Abe lives to be 115, yes. and he's just and, and he's just as stubborn and sarcastic as ever. Exactly. Just, yeah. So, yep. Rose was great as always. I will say one small bit with Rose's storyline that was a gigantic disappointment, and it isn't her, but it was the whole like Emily Gilmore and these five houses. Of- <laughs> of, of matchmakers of matchmakers and i i was i the way last season ended with that group of women kind of coming after rose i was hoping we'd get a little bit more from them this season they barely touched on it barely touched on it the tea house burned yeah and so it was assumed that it was emily and her crew yeah and and then rose trying to get midge and Susie to hire a hit on Emily Gilmore and all of this. And or that. when when she calls Noah at work to ha- try to get him to yes. get a raid. Yeah. Oh my that was God. Hilarious. And Noah is freaking out. Yes. <laughs> that was, I mean, that was perfect, Rose. She's like, should I call back later? You're like, no, can you put me still... to sign? And also, when she said, like, can you put me into touch with someone from the raid department? <laughs> As a customer service oh representative, God. I'm just going to say, those kind of requests, people saying that kind of stuff, it happens all the time. Oh, yeah. Like, can, can I speak to someone to talk about de- about dead people? It's like, what? I, okay. <laughs> I know. Some folks think there's a manager for everything. Seriously. But yeah, so I was I was disappointed in that. But they brought her in. She's in jail. It's not her first time, I guess. Yeah. And that gets all taken care of. And I'm like, well, at least they didn't just leave it hanging. We got some sort of an ending conclusion to it. But yeah. kind of like Jess Mariano's character coming in to explain that him and his wife are really separated and you know now he's fully divorced. I don't fucking care. Mm-hmm. That was unnecessary. It, it it really did feel like filler at that point. It just you felt know? like an, an excuse to bring a, a past character back for the final season. You know, it's just, just kind of doing that like bringing everybody cuz we also got Jane Lynch as Sophie Lennon for a quick quick minute. Yeah, so when she it came just, on board. It just seemed yeah. like it was one of those things for a final season. Yeah. Right. And there really was no purpose to it other than the whole chasing through the subway was kind of entertaining. I, I you know, and uh, well, first uh, that whole entire scene was just ridiculous. Uh, in fact, if I had to single out any part of this season that I really agree that I agree that it should not have been a part of it. It was that it, because in the end, nothing came from it. Exactly. There was, it had no development on the story in any ways. It's just like, Oh, we're all we're going to do is just, you know, wrap up he- something that wasn't, we need to hear his, we need to hear the man side of the story and know that he wasn't actually in the wrong. Like, I don't fucking care. Even if he wasn't, it's like, you know what? That, that story was told. It's over and done with. Let's move on. She never really had a real relationship with that character. This is why it, I was never Team Jess. <laughs> nope. I am not Team Jess. Uh, let's see. What was the other thing I was going to say that was not necessary? Because I got... The, oh, not that it wasn't, not that it was not necessary. Did I say that right? Um, but the 
wrapping up of Joel and May and their storyline. Oh. And, you know, he's thinking, you know, she's pregnant. He's thinking they're going to get married and do all of that. She still has dreams to be a doctor. Yeah. So then she comes back. They don't ever actually say the word abortion. She took care of it. And Joel respects that as that being her decision in that sense, you know, of your body, your choice yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Right. But it was just kind of a bummer because I was really hoping we'd get more Stephanie Shu who plays May. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for them to just kind of wrap that up with an abortion and her moving to Chicago. Just I don't... like, like, I know they had to do something. Yeah. But I don't know that I, I care for this route. I do agree that it one, it seemed like kind of a cop out to get rid of a character and yeah. just do it as quickly as possible. Yep. But I don't I, I really liked May as a character. I thought May was a fantastic addition to this show. And she was a fantastic addition to Joel's life. Um she was very um not what Joel was ever he, he's not she's not the type of person that Joel would ever, you know, probably before Miriam or before the divorce that Joel would have ever thought about maybe getting together with, uh, you know, hooking up with, you know, she's, she's more spontaneous. She's, you know, she's very open, you know, she's not afraid to speak her mind. And Joel's more like, um, well, he, 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 I don't know if he would have accepted that before the divorce with Miriam. Right. You know, I mean, I, I think May was such an awesome character, but was given such just such the short end of the stick in the end. Now we don't know the circumstances of everything. Maybe in original drafts of the show, she did have a bigger role, but we also have to keep in mind that everything everywhere all at once blew her up. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. she is not, she's not just a little indie actor anymore. She's in demand. So. Mm-hmm. And um, I had that same thought too, where more behind the scenes, maybe they had more, more for Stephanie. Yeah. For this character. They may have been gotten lucky just to get her at all with what, however her schedule is looking. Right. But because I mean, she shows up for a total of like seven minutes or something. Not, not like even. I think, first... it, yeah, this is right around there. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, we're going to get this done and over with kind of thing. But and... you, but you know what? I don't, I think them wrapping it up, her story like that would have been fine. Had we gotten a little more, maybe like, an extra episode with her. We didn't need a really a whole lot of time, you yeah. know, at least development up to that point, you know, her, maybe her and Joel being together for a full day and getting part, part of an episode of that. Yeah. You establish know? that relationship between the two of them. So we actually Let, maybe give a shit. Maybe like I would have, if I, if I was the, would have done it, I would have, you know, had at least one half of an episode focus on them ending that way but that episode would have been her just being very awkward around him the entire time and joel trying to figure out what's wrong and she's just very quiet about it they're out to dinner or they go for a walk or just something the interactions are not what joel's used to he knows something's wrong but he can't put his finger on it and then then it ends that that way that i think would have been a little more acceptable because now we have we have something to go off of But no, you're right. We only got a few minutes um, and it's such a shame because she was such a good character and I loved her character. And her appearance and it really did feel like like Stephanie's busy. We've got this 10 minute, (laughs) you know, we have an afternoon to shoot something with her. Let's just go this route and just kind of like, all right, well, you know, she gets an abortion and she gets a job in Chicago. It's, It's her dream job and she's very 
you know, career focused and nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You know, but I felt bad for her, for May, in the sense that, especially for that time, she had to choose between family and her career because she says she can't do both. Right. She can't have both. She has to pick. We know now in 2023 that you can't. It takes, you know, the whole, like, it takes a village. You need a support system and all of that. Mm -hmm. But it's not impossible. Whereas May, the character, absolutely felt like it was impossible and she had to choose. So I felt for her in that sense that she, I mean, she was so focused on her career for her whole life that it's almost like she didn't have any room, you know, like she had such, like, tunnel vision on being a successful physician, she never made any time to look bigger and beyond that. And again, I wish we had gotten more of May about May, maybe even in last season, or like you said, like a, a a healthy portion of an episode for this season, just to kind of, I just didn't feel a connection with her. Give us a narrative to go off of. Yeah. You know, that's... Make us care. Because really that was draw... Not only was it... Did it feel like a way to rush her character out, but Mm -hmm. that was a bomb to drop on fans Mm -hmm. in a very short amount of time with absolutely nothing else to go off of. And, you know, now the good thing that did come from that, and this is, is that that moment helped develop Joel's character through the rest of the season. Yeah. So yes. if anything came from it, you know, you know, and also just like how th- that affected, you know, Shirley and Moish, who thought mm-hmm. they were going to be grandparents, how it affected his relationship with Miriam, even because mm-hmm. she even, you know, talks to him about that. Oh, um, sorry. I remembered the other kind of semi unnecessary thing. Oh, yeah. Shirley and Moish, not them together, <laughs> not them as characters, but the whole like they were going to separate. Oh, you didn't like that? I didn't like Oh, I thought like it was that. so funny. But, I mean, I liked how it came back around, and they obviously, I mean, from the moment it came up, I was like, "This, that's not happening. That's not happening. No, you, you know you that's not going to happen. That's not fucking happening. You guys love each other way too much. Right. You drive each other bonkers in all the best ways. Oh, of course. You know. There's no way they were going to get divorced. But I, I personally thought it was funny. But I did like that, you know, during kind of all of that and they're sleeping in separate rooms and all of and everything Shirley comes upon baby booties yeah. that she was knitting yeah. for her grandbaby and she got all sad and so her and Moish snuggle in bed and that's kind of the road to the reconciliation ending finally with both of them falling in the shower <laughs> and her wearing the fur coat that she had to wear all the time and, and the coat's getting soaked oh my god i mean that i'm sorry but that's classic shirley and moish yes and they what i really loved about the shot of the two actors laying on the shower it was one you got these seasoned actors laying in a shower <laughs> but they both just look so genuinely happy both of those characters look really happy. Like they finally, like they, like their character said, finally had a chance to talk and finally had a chance to really listen. And I just, that shot of them in the shower, the water and mm-hmm. fur coat and everything, mm-hmm. they looked genuinely happy. 
And so I like that it all came, you know, and they that stayed was, together and all of that. But and the way that de- that all developed was perfect for their characters. It was. It really was. Like, that was a Moish and Shirley r- way to reconcile their, yes. their differences, you know? Um, I mean, otherwise, what else were they going to do this season? If they didn't have some bullshit... Oh, we're not we're not gonna be together anymore. We're getting a, and to drop it at and again, the Paladinos really know how to write a disaster dinner scene <laughs> because that was amazing. And Abe's at the children's table. Oh, and the all, Thanksgiving the Thanksgiving meal. scene. Oh my god! And where all of that comes out, you know, sure, like we're like you don't. How do you just drop that <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner? Oh, we're getting a divorce. God. Happy news. First, that Thanksgiving meal was just so well written. I thought it was. I I I will I, I've always said they those Paladinos know how to write a disaster dinner scene. Yeah. From every dinner, every Friday night dinner through Gilmore Girls <laughs> to every oh, other family if dinner. If anything ever gave the gave them the gave them practice to per, to perfecting a uh, a dinner scene, it, it was those Friday night dinners cuz that was in almost every single episode yep. of the Gilmore Girls. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, they had their time to figure that out. But oh just, I, I really did love everything about that scene. I love just uh, everything about how Noah's wife, I, I can't think of her name at the moment, just how she thought the the new arrangements at the dinner table were going to make more sense so the kids could feel more involved at the adults' table. But then yeah. they put Joel, uh, uh, Miriam, and Abe at the children's mm-hmm. table, which is like the greatest thing ever. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Abe eventually just being like, enjoy your time at the, you know, because then they switch. You yeah. Know, Midge and Joel get up and they keep knocking their knees on the table as they stand up, which is perfect. Or they're shaking the table as yeah. they're trying to cut their turkey. <laughs> Uh, and then, and then, yeah, a, a telling the grandkids, you know, enjoy your time at the children's table. <laughs> I really love the part where uh, Miriam wants to wants to uh, make a toast from the children's table, and Moish is like, "What are you doing?" And she's she's like, "I'm making a toast." He's like, "That should really be done from the adult table." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep. oh, and I think God. what Rose was pretending like she couldn't hear Miriam, but she could hear Joel and yeah. just fine. Like, oh, you catty petty bitches! I oh, love it. Oh, jeez. So I was not, I mean, it eventually all came around, but I really, but again, what, what else was Shirley and Moish going to do this season? I mean, I think even though on our last recording for season four, we didn't really talk a lot about Moish and Shirley because, you know, those are two characters that really don't need to be developed that much. Yeah. You know, maybe, yes, the divorce thing may have just been a little, um, a little forced, you know, it just something to throw in there to make, make the story interesting between exactly. them because not much changes between Moish and Shirley, Moish and Shirley are Moish and Shirley. And you mm-hmm. know what? Even with the divorce, they were still Moish and Shirley, mm-hmm. you know? So I never have anything bad to say about no. them or anything that goes on with them in the seasons, just because sometimes keeping your characters exactly the same from one season to the next can be damaging because there is no development there, mm-hmm. you know, but for these two, and their their characters' personalities mm-hmm. and how they work off each other, and nonetheless, even better, how they work off everybody else and social situations. You don't need to make any changes to them. They are the, in my opinion, I love every character in the show. Everybody's so well written, but no characters are more well written and just. I don't know. I don't want to say relatable because I don't think everybody can relate to Moish and Shirley, <laughs> but. I can say more well loved and appreciated yeah. than Moish and Shirley. Yeah. I love them. They're so good. And you know, they're really like tertiary characters. 
they in, are in this series. Yeah, they you are. You know, where you know you have Midge and Joel, and then you have the Weissmans, yeah. and then you have the Elder Mazers. Absolutely. So we don't need to get deep into the Elder Mazels, like you said. They're established. They're lovable. Yeah. As they are. And we learned that that Moish is going to sell the shop. You know, mm-hmm. you know, we learned that he is actually going to retire. We don't actually see it develop, but we know he's going to. And Joel's concerned. He's like, what about the workers? And in classic boyish fashion, he says, fuck them. <laughs> 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 yeah. But that's classic boyish. That's classic boyish. So, so. Yeah. And again, I mean, I don't know if I have much more to say about him, but uh, I'm going to miss just seeing new Moish and Shirley interactions. Mm-hmm. You know, Ethan. Oh what was it like? Was was that last season when she's standing outside screaming for Ethan? If he wants that was like season a three. That was okay. season three. Yeah. All right. Oh I, my it's like, god! I got peanut butter. I got peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. I got chicken. <laughs> I got chicken noodle with dumplings. <laughs> oh. Oh, she was. So, oh, she's so good. All right. Let's see. So we we've touched on the Weissmans, the Elder Mazels. We do get a bit more. We do see more of Imogene and what's his face, her husband. So good to see that they're still around. Not much. I felt like Imogene actually was not in this season like at all. She made the appearance at the Gordon Ford show, but I think that's really all we saw of her this season. She she made another appearance, but it was really brief. Yeah, uh, so that actress was and not around. And I was actually kind of upset that we didn't get a single single scene between her and Abe where he calls her Dodie. Yeah. I thought that was disappointing as well. I also thought it was dis- and and maybe the actress just didn't have time, you know, maybe she had other time commitments or something. But I was disappointed that, you know, because we've we've seen Imogene kind of on that upswing of being independent. You know, she went to secretary school and then she's, you know, typing for mm-hmm. for yeah. Abe and all of that and Dodie. And, and so we don't see any of that with through no. Imogene. I think at one point, maybe in the future, she's like an assistant for for Midge. Because there was something where Midge was like, Imogene, do this, or call Imogene. She made a reference. She did make a reference to Imogene. You are absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. So Imogene's part of, like, future Midge's crew or something. Right. That Right. So it's nice that they're there. And then what was her husband's name? Joel's bestie. Why do I always but, forget his fucking name? Um, but um, he, oh, yeah, because he drops Joel off at the Elder Maisel's house after Joel gets fucking hammered. Mm-hmm. I did like how... In Joel's moment of getting hammered because he's distraught, he pulls a midge and he gets up on stage all drunk and makes it about midge's booties. <laughs> so I was like, that's a nice little callback to the I first like episode. <laughs> um, another cool thing that I thought that happened this season, it wasn't a major plot point, but it was, but they did focus on it for a little bit for throughout like two episodes was the development of her of of Susie's other uh, acts. Mm-hmm. So yes. I, again, it wasn't like the major focus but like eh, but we have Alfie who's now like selling a, who's selling out shows in Vegas, mm-hmm. you know, and he's buying llamas. And then we have James, you know, who's like going to star in this huge David Weston film, mm-hmm. you know. I don't remember what the film was about. But it's like a real movie but that it, did really well. Yeah, and it showed that, you know, and I, I really like the fact that 
during that episode, you know, where, you know, she was going to, where she went to the bathhouse and all of that, mm-hmm. the, um, where she was so focused on Miriam, you know, at that point, mm-hmm. you know, she wanted to Miriam this, Miriam that, because, you know, it's whatever. And she's saying, James, it's not your time. And James is like, you know, you're going to get me this or I'm going to find someone else. And, you know, it's like, you're seeing her, she wants to be a manager, but she's also got to learn how to manage multiple people. She can't just put all of her, all of her eggs in one basket, you know? Mm-hmm. And what I love the most, um, when Dinah called her out on yes. her bullshit and said, yep. if you don't do this for James, you're going to lose me. Yep. She straight up threatened to walk out on Susie if she did not do this for him because she, Dinah saw it in James. Yep. James saw it in James. Other people saw it in James. And even Midge was like, don't hurt James. Yes, exactly. Don't do that to him. Yes, yes. Um, And so I was, but I think, you know, because going back to Susie a little bit, and uh, it's brought up several times this season or mentioned that Susie's in love with Midge. And I think this was a very good, clear example of that. Yeah. She didn't just like love Midge as a friend or as her first client. You know, she over over these years, over these five seasons, Susie has fallen in love with Midge. Mm-hmm. Her her love of Midge blinded her, sure, to the possibility of being James's manager and everything that was going to come along with that. Right, right. And I absolutely agree. Uh, Dinah was amazing in that moment. And I really enjoyed Dinah this whole season. Mm-hmm. They gave her character more screen time, more lines. A lot more screen time. Um, standing up to Susie, yep. but also showing those signs of she's going to rule New York one of these days as a talent manager. And you know what? I, I this is gonna. I hope this doesn't come off ba- bad because uh, the situation itself started off really horrible, but it ended up it ended up making me smile. So it was that scene where um, Susie comes into the office and Dinah's there working and she's wearing sunglasses and she's like, "Why are you wearing glasses?" Oh, yes. And we learn that Dinah's boyfriend beat the shit out of her, yep. and it's like, "Oh, that's fucking terrible." And the next scene. We see our two favorite lovable gangsters, Frankie mm-hmm. and Nikki, knocking on Dinah's boyfriend's door. And, you know, casually he answers. It's like, who are you guys? He's like, hey, do you know? I don't remember her last name. But do you know Dinah? Yeah, yeah. And guy slams his door. Next thing you know, Frankie's kicking it in. And yes. they've got a baseball bat. And it's like, yeah, get that motherfucker. <laughs> like, yep. I love it because, one, Susie made that happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's also partially of how rumors started be speculating about Susie, uh, about oh, Susie. Oh, yeah, with her involvement with Frank yeah. and Nikki and everyone kind of knowing that she's in the pocket of mm-hmm. New York mobsters. Right, right. But it's just like, it's one of those, what I liked about it, despite the fact that, you know, it created rumors about the character. What I love about it, though, is it's one of those don't fuck with my people kind of things, you know? And I love that Susie has her crew's back. Mm-hmm. And I love that even though the and that scene happened after the waste development uh, episode. So, you know, Nikki and Frankie had already laid into Susie at that point. But still, even after that, they were still there for her. Mm-hmm. So it showed that even though they had that unfortunate moment, you know, that they still have a really tight bond. It's just mm-hmm. that Susie better not back out of the deal she made with them or else yeah. they'll be kicking down her door. Yep. You know? Yeah. I, I did enjoy that because yeah, I, it, it shows like, that's how Susie shows she cares. Yeah. 
You know, she I think so. She can't come right out and say it. She's not going to give you a hug, but she'll send she'll send her goons over yeah. to your probably now ex boyfriend's house and beat the shit out of him. Yeah, because he decided to be dumb and lay hands on you, not realizing you work for a woman who's in the pocket of the mob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But you're right. I think that I think that probably definitely adds to the lore of Susie Meyerson. And associates. Oh, man. <laughs> and associates. And associates. Wow. Oh, what a season. What a fucking season. So I was, okay, so at first I was really heartbroken to hear that Midge and Susie weren't friends in our, one of the Yeah, we haven't really discussed words. that at all. Right. So, you know, we, we talked about that Joel put him in the line of fire, you know, yeah. put, put himself in Frankie and Nikki's pocket so yeah. Midge would get out yeah and that fight in this when so the the cops the fbi they show up at the synagogue and it's like joel knew it was gonna happen and you know what when i saw joel future joel in prison i was like i knew it was something for midge yeah. i you know obviously wasn't sure what it was and i was like well this makes all the sense sure in front. right of course uh but i i love oh my god that was it was heartbreaking and but so real and valid for the two of them to both come from the points that they were. Midge having the best point where Susie was like, "Well, come on, we're friends." Midge is like, "Wow, finally, after all of these years, you call me your friend, and it's because of this, yeah. you know, because you fucked up, yeah. and you want me to forgive you. Now suddenly we're friends." And then the fact that they didn't talk at all for however many decades after that. You know, until Midge puts out that olive branch with the video for Susie's yeah, roast. Right, right. And I did like how the video starts with, so did you guys have fun trying not to say my name all night? <laughs> Maybe, go real quick, I don't mean to interrupt, yeah, but yeah. do you think that's where the Imogene thing came in? Because Imogene was the one filming that and she was having trouble with the camera. Yes. There yes. we go. Okay, so okay. I totally just nope, you're, I think sparked that was a light it. bulb. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're fight and then eventually the reconciliation. So yeah. what you did know, you think of the synagogue scene? Oh, the synagogue scene was very dramatic. Um, probably the most dramatic that probably the second most dramatic scene in the season. The first being the four minutes that, uh, where she took over, but, um, gosh, Seeing Joel in that position first was a little weird because, yeah, we've seen Joel in scuffles before, you know, and he, we've seen him in situations where he's defending Midge and willing, you know, to take a punch for her. Mm -hmm. But God damn, he was willing to risk the rest of his life in prison for her. That's how much he loved Miriam. Mm -hmm. And that's unconditional love right there. And I feel like even though she absolutely hates what Susie did and how Susie pretty much did allow this to happen. I think Miriam in a weird way loves that Joel was willing to oh, put his life on the line like that for her. Oh, absolutely. You know, but the whole thing with like her and Susie, yeah. you know, and just like that whole entire interaction, it was, it was kind of heartbreaking in a way because, you know, we're under the impression at this point in time, these two have been together for almost 30 years, you know, as client and manager, but also we're thinking friends, too. Mm -hmm. These two are each other's buddies, whatever. And Miriam 
calls Susie out on the bullshit and Susie uses the excuse of being a friend to try to get out of a situation Mm -hmm. because she's uncomfortable in it. Mm -hmm. She's uncomfortable with her role in it and not letting Miriam in on it at all. Because had Miriam known that Joel did what she did, she would have done everything she could have to get him out of that situation. Mm -hmm. She wouldn't have cared about her 10% going to the mob. She would have done that probably for the rest of her career to protect Joel. Mm -hmm. But Joel, being Joel, and Miriam being who she is, Joel is going to do everything that he can to make sure that she is not taken care of, but that she is taking care of herself as best as she can mm-hmm. because he knows that she doesn't need to rely on other people to do that. But unfortunately the situation would, it had, had it stayed the way it is, it would have put her in danger, Yeah, you know, and he, he was willing to take that on for her. Mm-hmm. And I always, I do love too, that in the one season where Joel does finally see Miriam's act and he fights a guy cause he's like, Oh, she sucks. And he's like, no, she's funny. She's good. Yeah. And he's and beating he's, his ass in the street. Yeah. Yep, and he's, He's upset by it, but he's also willing to accept that Miriam is funnier yeah, and is like funnier than him and just funny in general. So we already see what Joel is willing to do and how much he is as much pride as he might have had to swallow in those first few probably months of Miriam's success of him being aware of it. He he wasn't going to be the one to stand in her way. Sure. He wasn't going to be the one to stop. He's, I mean, what was it last season where Susie went to Joel to be like, you need to take care of Midge's money. Or maybe that was season three. Either way, Joel's like, all right, I'll manage her money since you're clearly bad at it. Yeah. To save, to help protect Miriam and to do anything he can to help make sure that she is successful. Not just protect her. Right, right. But to make sure that her path that she stays on the path that she is on. You know, he doesn't want to stand in the way of that. He understands that she is hilarious and she deserves all the success. Mm-hmm. So I do love that. I mean, I love Joel. Joel's so sweet. I, I love him. Joel so much. Even so Elder sweet. Joel. I love him too. I like Joel. Elder, Elder Joel's Joel. good. But uh, yeah, um, but I do love the fact that, you know, in the roasting episode, you know, there was the start of the reconciliation between her and Susie with the mm-hmm. video tribute. And in the, at the very end of the video, you know, she says tits up and, you know, even Susie says under her breath tits up, yep. you know, and, and Susie gets emotional. And yeah. I it's like one of the few times we see Susie get emotional. Right. Right. And, and then in that final episode, in that final scene where Midge is walking through her gigantic empty house. So it's 2005 in that moment. No Joel. So we don't oh, know yeah. if Joel's still and her in prison. assistant's trying to t- teach her how to use a cell phone. <laughs> or, yeah. So we don't know where Joel is, if he's even still alive in 2005. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. I think they mentioned what was the how year? long he was going to be in prison. Do we know what year she went to go visit him in prison in that one episode? We do. I want to say it was like the 90s. Oh, okay. I, I didn't catch all of the years when yeah. they popped up on screen. I know right. I missed a few. So Okay. But... We see that they have clearly recon- reconciled. They're doing a watch party together. Oh, like the Jeopardy. oldest school. Yes. Je- on a VHS tape. Yes. And- <laughs> it was so good, too. And they're both just like commenting on how soothing the song is. Mm-hmm. And 
I couldn't help but think back to our last recording of Doom Patrol when I saw all the birds in the background in Susie's home. I'm like, oh, Susie's going to become a bird now and fly <laughs> off into the sunset. But I just loved, like, oh, I love the whole look of Susie's character at that point of her yeah. life. The long, curly white hair, yep. the just, like, one-piece outfit and this massive fucking... We only see one room, but you could tell she's rich as fuck. Yep. You know? And she's just... I just love that at the end of the series, they are just two girlfriends chatting with each other on the phone, watching an episode of Jeopardy, just yelling at each other not to start it before the other person because it needs the timing needs yes. to be precise. Because if you yell out the answer before they give the answer, then I don't get a chance yeah, to guess. Exactly. Oh my God, I love them. And they're just <laughs> cursing back and forth with each other. And it's just like seeing that they are now back to where they were back in their younger days and just, I don't know, it's, it's a sisterhood that those two have. And it's nice to see that it was just a temporary break. Yeah. You know, and yes, like you said, Midge extended the olive branch because God knows Susie wouldn't have done it no. herself. But Susie was. Yeah, she was all about it. Yeah. She was like, yeah, let's let's rebuild this. And the roast was a perfect was perfect for that. Yeah. You know, it was sending the video and everything and it, and being funny. You know, it, it, it worked. And even at that point, you know. Miriam had proven that she is. It's been just as successful, if not even more successful, without Susie. And it's nothing against Susie or anything mm-hmm. that Susie's ever done with her. It's just that she has moved on and she proved that she can do this, you know, with the different people or by herself. However, they don't really go into that. But at the very end, you know, I never got any type of impression like they ever hooked it back up professionally. Because I think that would have been damaging for their relationship with each other and their characters. Well, it seemed like, you know, Midge has a team. Yes. You know, and it's I I almost wonder if that team isn't associates of Susie Meyer and associates because Susie is retired at that point because there was the one girl because, you know, they're just Midge is like, I have Tuesday open and they're like, how did that happen? And blah, blah, blah. And it ended. And that little bit of conversation ended with Susie being like, I'll call her. Yes. Oh, I didn't even <laughs> think about that. Yeah. Oh, God, that's a good call. So good it's catch. either, I mean, it could re- be read in in different ways. Either this this new team or this team are associates of Susie Meyerson and associates. Yes. Or Susie still cares that much about Midge and success. And she just knows how Midge operates. Yes. Where... Midge cannot have a free day no. to relax. She'll go crazy. Yeah. She'll go absolutely nuts. So whether it was like a, a business call or a, a I'm your friend and I'll make this call because I know the you know. Right. I think it could go either way. But in the moment, I took it as, yeah, Susie's retired, but is she ever really going to be retired? Right. And I think when you get in that line of business, you're always in it in some yeah, way. Yeah. And you might have, you know, like, yeah, with with Susie and Midge's dynamic and their relationship, Susie's always going to be willing to make a call for Midge, whether it's her job or not. Yeah. You know, that's her girl. She's got her back. Yeah, exactly. So. All right. Final episode. What did you think of the series finale and yeah. the four minutes, which was actually seven? Yeah, it was uh, definitely not four minutes long, but uh, it was worth every minute of it. 
Um, I loved it. You know, first off, I don't feel like the show needed a very dramatic ending. No, it no. would. The, this is not that kind of show. The end, and plus, also, that's not how the Palandinos like to do things. Well, Day in the Life <laughs> had a pretty dramatic ending that were. You know, I'm going to be on the fence about my what I just said right there. <laughs> um, but uh, in this case, it didn't need to be a dramatic ending. I thought it was a very, very wonderful way to close out the series. They're both in a Susie and Miriam are both in a place in their lives where they are happy. If I feel, mm-hmm. you know, they have both found tremendous success. They are. Their friend, like we were just saying all this, you know, they, they have reconciled their friendship and these two are going to go to the grave with each other. They're going to be the constant in each other's lives. And I love that the show ends with us giving us that impression mm-hmm. and all it takes is an episode of Jeopardy to do it. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, every other aspect of that episode leading up to the very end was just so well written and so well just acted um, that. I would think that this is a documentary that I'm almost watching here. You know, this is, it was so good that everything from like the, from just Gordon Ford's, you know, hesitancy of giving her even the time of day for his lady writer, you know, mm-hmm. to Rose and Rose and Abe, just trying to find a ride to sit to 30 rock and they're doing everything they can and running through traffic and to get on a bus. And Rose is like, we took a bus to get here. It was a, Pauline. It was a harrowing. Heroine, was it? Oh, and it's just and just how excited she got when Shirley get when Shirley gave her one of the free frisbees because mm-hmm. they gave because Shirley said you got to get there at eight fifteen because yep, that's when you get about so the you good get the stuff. Yep. You know, everyone's coming out to support her, and uh, you know, I f- I still think this is the only time we saw Imogene on camera. But if she was there one so. other time, maybe. But at least we got to see Imogene one time. Like and, a black and, beret, because. Because why not, you know? Um, (laughs) And it was just a really cool way to close out a wonderful series. I think that, and even even the part with Mike in the end, you know, where, where, you know, Mike standing there in the background, you know, he he could tell something is about to go off and he's like, what the fuck is happening? Because Mike's always concerned about his job. Let's face it. He never, I think Mike's biggest fear in the series is that all it takes is one fuck up for him to get fired. You know, he always gives me that kind of anxious impression, but, ah, uh, and I loved the fact that uh, I really wish I would have written it all down. So maybe you can help me out here. I actually really love the fact that it was Gordon Ford that coined the term, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, mm-hmm. but the way he led into it, he was yep. like the magnificent, the ma- yep. magical, something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was a whole bunch of M words, a whole lot of alliteration. Yeah. You know, as, like, anyway, anyway, uh, you know, just in the end, he said the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He and said the thing. I was just going to say that he was like, he said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, throughout the entire series you know we've never heard her referred to as that no. it's always been you know i am mrs mazel thank you, know. you and good night exactly so i thought that was really cool yeah so now we know that it's not just a clever title to the show she was presented by the biggest the number one show in the world mm-hmm. at that point talk show in the world as the marvelous mrs mazel yep. and god how much better can you get yep I love it was I thought for this series this is the perfect finale for it yeah. for the for a series finale. I'm always very 
very picky and judgmental about a series finale. I'm looking at you, that, Game of Thrones. That last episode, that that final impression, the series gives its fans. Yes. And I thought for this series, like you said, it wasn't overly dramatic and it didn't need to be because nothing about this show was ever overly dramatic. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it had its dramatic moments. Mm-hmm. Midge getting fired on the tarmac. That's pretty fucking dramatic. Right. Uh, you know, other moments. <laughs> <laughs> other moments. Other moments. But this one, because as soon as as soon as you find out that she's going to be on the Gordon Ford show, and then you see how it's just it's all about that anticipation of that final set mm-hmm. that we as the audience get to see. Yeah. And what's that final set going to entail? Not too many kid jokes, no diaper jokes, <laughs> 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 and. And the way it all led up to that, everyone's excitement, trying to get Rose on the phone. Yeah. Uh, yes, the the Wiseman's running through traffic during Cabby's shift Which change. is so out of character for Rose. I feel like a little in character for Abe a little bit, but so out of character for Rose. But see, I think by that point, she had gotten so amped up from all the phone calls, plus Abe just being all amped up. Like, we have to go now, do yeah. what you need to do because we're leaving. Her dopamine levels are just... So by the time the phone stopped ringing, <laughs> she hustled out of that apartment just as fast as Abe did. Yeah. Whereas before that, she couldn't have fucking cared less. Yeah, right. So I think with all that excitement and then the rush to get there, it just all kind of caught up to her. You hear her telling the whole fucking story to some random ass cabbie about she's going to go see her daughter perform live on television. It's all in the background as Abe's running around. Thank God for closed captioning because I could read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And Rose is laying out the first four seasons <laughs> to some poor cab driver that's just trying to clock out. <laughs> it's, like my, it's like my wife says. It's like, I can't hear without my closed caption. So, uh, so she gets out there find out oh she's gonna be interviewed as a lady writer and you're like well deep down you know that's not gonna happen like it's we're gonna get it but how is it gonna happen is she just gonna straight up stand up and hijack and she more or less does but i like that you know gordon tries to cut to a commercial early and and then Mike's like, four minutes. You have four fucking minutes. You have to fill those four minutes. And yes, Mike is amazing in that scene, too, because he's at the podium. So Susie's behind him. He's like, I can feel your eyes burning a hole in the back of my head. <laughs> You're looking, I'm not like, looking at your crotch. Yep. <laughs> and uh, Susie and Midge kind of have that moment. And Midge is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some shit. And it may or may not work out. Yeah. And that's when, because before, right before that, when... Midge is getting ready to go out as a lady writer. Susie starts to say tits up. And Midge was like, no, mm-hmm. we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Because she knew this wasn't her moment. Mm-hmm. That wasn't that wasn't it. So Susie realizes that Midge is just going to go for it. Tits up. And Midge is like, tits up. And you got to love how the lead into that, too. Right when her and where her and Gordon are sitting out right there uh, on their little um, stools next to each other, right before they come back from commercial break, and he's talking about the rule, and she's like, "Yeah, yeah, I get it." And then she looks at him and is like, "I've just never been really good at following rules." And mm-hmm. at that moment, the look on Gordon Ford's face is just like, "Oh, what the hell are you about to do?" And mm-hmm. they're back, they're live on television, and she has the advantage. She, mm-hmm. He knows the balls in her court at that point. And she she fucking goes in, and then, I don't know where I'm going with all these basketball references, but she takes a <laughs> slam dunk. 
Well, you I don't even watch ba- run with it. I, I don't watch basketball, ball. just so you all know. But but she does. She takes that mm-hmm. moment. She knows that Gordon is, once she calls him out like that, right before the camera's on, on she knows she has mm-hmm. him. And there's nothing he could do about it. And you talk about, you know, when we talk about Mike and how Mike is my favorite yeah. side character of this season. Because after that, Susie goes back to being behind Mike at the podium. And Susie makes some comment about, you know, like, I'm sorry, or, you know, hope you don't get in trouble. Something along those lines where Mike was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> and he gets that kind of panic. And then and then I loved watching Gordon Ford slowly break down, right, as Midge is up there yep. doing her, her set. There's those first few times. He's turning his head, covering his mouth because he doesn't want to show that he's laughing, that she's funny. Yeah. And by the end of it, he's at her de- at his desk cracking up. Yep. And then he invites her over, which was such. And then my favorite, my favorite was the writers bowing to her. Oh, yeah. That I was loved nice. it. One of them even did a curtsy with his coat, <laughs> his little, you know, jacket. Yeah. And considering how the job started for her. Mm-hmm. And to end it like that with her coworkers giving her all that respect in that brief little moment of the bowing and the curtsy of like, we're sorry, you're, you're funny, you're, you kick ass, you rock. I loved it. The submission of men. You know, and you, that's actually funny that you say that because one thing we haven't talked about is her jo- her working at the Gordon Ford show. I mean, there's really not a whole lot to go over, I think. No, but not I, really. But I think what's really, really great about it is that, you know, once she got her first joke on, and then when she got hers and they gave her her little, her little tally mark, that's when things really started to progress mm-hmm. for her at the Gordon Ford show, and that was really cool to see. So yeah. don't really have much more to add to that, but, you know. No, the only thing I want to add is that uh... – with her working at Gordon Ford, I had this sudden urge to rewatch Mad Men. <laughs> I never saw the aesthetics. it. Yeah. You know, Mad Men, 50s, 60s, Ad mm. Men, so office life, and uh, a lot of them sitting around smoking cigarettes. Yeah, sure. Swilling booze, getting hammered at a company party, and then showing back up to work all hammered. I loved that the one of the gals was passing out hair of the dog. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they went and celebrated being number one. Yep. and. Everyone but Midge got hammered. Yeah. And yeah. So I was just like. Gordon laid the kiss on her that though, when they were ice skating. Yeah. He's like, come on, dude. Oh, and I will say too. So there was the episode where that um, Hank Azaria special guest stars. Yeah. And he tries to poach Midge. Yes. You know, the way that Gordon reacted, like, I understand you'd be mad that a colleague would come and try and poach one of your employees. Sure. But then to flip it and be like, it's just because he wants to sleep with you is so fucking degrading. And it's like you're projecting clearly since you have been trying to get get into Midge's panties since fucking day one. Damn near. Yeah. And and I'll give Gordon credit for stopping when Midge was like, if I ever end like when I end up on your show, not if, but when I end up on your show. I won't know if it's because I'm funny because I earned it or if I'm your girl. Yeah. You know, and how sleeping with the boss immediately invalidates a woman and her worth. Yeah. And he's like, what? Nothing. It'll be fine. Everything will be fine. She's like, for you. She's like, there will be back talk. There will be snickers. There will be questions upon questions. And she's like, you know, basically to the point where I won't know yeah. if I did it. So 
I love that she, you know, laid it out to Gordon that way. I love that Gordon eventually did back off and he's like, basically like he couldn't argue with that point. Right. So I, so I really, I, that was an ugly look for Gordon Ford in that moment. Uh, clearly jealousy, um, bitterness, pettiness, just being a child. And so, yeah, ugly look for Gordon Ford in that moment. You know, and and Hank Azaria's character was clearly not trying to sleep with her. No. Like, he was like, holy fuck, this woman is funny, she is talented. And you know what? If anything, Gordon should have actually first been flattered Mm -hmm. that somebody would try to compete for one of his people. Mm -hmm. Yes, he has to fork up and pony up more money to get to keep her. That's just the that's just the business. But if anything, this should have been a clear sign to him that one of the biggest names, the Danny Stevens, I think, had the second big, uh, biggest show uh, mm-hmm. at that time. And bringing her on probably could have boosted his ratings. Yep. But doing that, Gordon should have realized, all right, I do have something special on my hands here. And I need if I want to keep it, I need to fight for it. Yeah. And yeah, he he did give her the raise. But he did it out of spite, mm-hmm. and that is no way to treat your talent. Yeah. Because a spiteful raise is not done because you're proud of because you're proud and happy of who you have working for you. It's because you just don't want the other person to have them. And honestly, she probably could have gone over to him to to Danny Stevens and be like, "It got the got the lower pay, whatever mm-hmm. it was in comparison," and probably just been been just as happy. But still. Would have been a completely different outcome if that would have yeah. been the case. So, and I like that she stayed very, Mitch stayed very focused to how she was going to get her break. You know, absolutely. So, all right. Well, for time wise, we're going to start wrapping this up. We, I think, we've hit on just about everyone we need to. I'm sure by the time I get to editing this, I'm going to be like, <laughs> oh fuck, there was this point and that point and the other point. That's uh, okay. Um. So we'll go ahead and hit up our stray bubbles. So real quick, sure. Anything. You have to get out. Yes. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I should have rephrased that differently. <laughs> Don't worry. It's only one thing. Okay. And it's not going to take that long, but I just want to say this was a really awesome moment in the series. This was during the uh, uh, during the roast. It was at towards the end of the episode. This was after, after Midge's uh, video. I felt like the Palandinos paid, did one more time as much as they could, paid respect to Brian Tarantino. Yeah, with the with the jet with the with the jet with the foundation that yes. Susie set up for him. Yep, I thought that was so amazing for them to give one more credit to Jackie, mm-hmm. and just the fact that you know they're saying we haven't forgotten you, yep. and you know his death was so just unfortunate, and I would have loved to have seen how Jackie would have interacted in this show. How in future, future Jackie might have been with Susie's success. Yes, oh. I I think that would have been something that we would have loved to have seen. Yeah. I and and we could have got the the way the show, the ending may have still been the same, but I think there would have been some differences. Mm-hmm. Jackie may have actually gotten would have probably gotten more involved, you know, in helping Susie, or maybe he just would have been the permanent tenant at her at her at, at her old apartment. Who right. knows? But I just thought that was a great tribute, a minor tribute, but a great way to say. 
one more time goodbye to yeah. Brian Tarantino and to the character of Jackie. I completely agree. It, it it fits with that kind of final season like trope of bringing everyone back. It's also a wonderful send off, like you said. It's a great way to remember the actor as well. Yeah. Uh, a we didn't forget you. Exactly. Moment. It, very good. Um, what I just thought of one more thing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But one more thing, because we 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 mentioned it at the very beginning, but we never came back to it. Lenny and that's Bruce. Lenny Bruce. Yep, I was just thinking that. Yeah. All right, we'll do Lenny Bruce real quick. Okay. So. Okay. This could be, a, a, you know, probably and, and to... his, you know, and his role in this season was very minimal. It was. You know, we see him at the beginning, kind of after the one night stand or whatever. Yeah. And then we don't see him again until that last episode where we see that he's not doing great. No. And no more clubs. And Susie's like, "Well, come on, let's let's go." And He's like, nope, pretty much like it's over for me kind of thing. And then Midge was there, you know, outside And this was at waiting. the start of four minutes, too. This was the very beginning yeah. of that episode. Because then after her four minutes, we get a flashback to six, just six months before that. Yeah. Where her and Lenny are having, you know, dinner, yep. you know, having a meal at a Chinese place. And the moment with Midge's um, her fortune, fortune cookie, cookie. Yeah. Yep, out of her little joke book. And she stuffs it into her bra. That all made sense now. Because that was the fortune that Lenny read. And, you know, the really like, oh, that must be really tiny writing. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, one thing I found out, I researched this after watching that episode. If there's any, I mean, we know that within the last years of Lenny's life, he wasn't doing good. So that took place in San Francisco in 1965. And they don't say what month it was. So I'm just going to say a year. Mm -hmm. One year later. Within that next year, Lenny Bruce dies in his home in in Hollywood. And it's so sad because, you know, Susie's there watching him just bomb. You know, Mm -hmm. he's reading his court files and stuff like that. And uh, for such a a character that I have come to love on this show and actually have gotten to know about somewhat in the real life, seeing this kind of is a little tragic because Mm -hmm. you even though we don't see Lenny anymore after this, after the beginning of that episode, we know what comes next for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Susie tells him, you know, Miriam's not here, but he, but she is. She's just outside. And she tells him, Susie tells Miriam, you know, he's not doing well, you know, whatever. Miriam makes the decision to move on mm-hmm. because she knows there's nothing she can do. And that had to have killed her because even though oh, yeah. she didn't cry, she put on, an, uh, she really you could see the emotion on her face and how much it was just paining her to walk away from a man who she probably considered a mentor and someone who believed in her from like the, the beginning bit yeah. pretty much. Yeah. And she has, she's seen what a man who went from headlining Carnegie hall just months before this to just falling it, just mm-hmm. falling down on his luck and, you know, and I'm glad that you looked it up because uh, when uh, real life Lenny Bruce had passed away, because in that moment watching him struggle and bomb and read his court papers, you get the sense that this is the beginning of the end for Lenny Bruce. Yeah. And I couldn't help but wonder in real life, how long after this point did Lenny pass away? Right. And to hear that it was about a year later doesn't surprise me but it made it made his appearance 
that much more sad, but I also think like impactful. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think it was necessary to see that part yeah. of Glenny Bruce because absolutely because he was a he actually existed and he had real life uh, problems. Right. And so to not address it and to just gloss over it or pretend like it didn't happen, I think would have been very disrespectful to the memory of Lenny Bruce. I agree. Absolutely. You don't bring a character like this into a show without telling their story, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I'm sure there were some things that were, there were parts of Lenny Bruce's story that they exaggerated on a little bit. And of course events that never happened. There's no Miriam Maisel in real life, but still just the way they homaged and paid respect to him and telling us in, you know, the Palandino's own way, how the li- the life and traumas in uh, uh, of Lenny Bruce, we didn't have to see it all played out to know exactly what was going on, right. you know? And if you know the story of Lenny Bruce, you know what was coming after that. Mm-hmm. So I think the cautious decision to have Miriam walk away from it was very impactful, very and very necessary for her. Yeah. Because my biggest fear is that if she would have gone to help him, it would have drug her down too. Oh, absolutely. And absolutely. she, that that uh, again, I'll say it one more time, had to have been the hardest decision probably in her professional career mm-hmm. that she's probably ever had to make is I walk away from her mentor. But I really did love that we got that moment, even though it was a prior moment. You know, we're going six months in the past. It was still just a very beautiful bonding moment between mentor and mentee Mm -hmm. and just him saying, you're going to do good, kid, and Mm -hmm. you're going to be paying for these meals one day. Yeah. So even though we saw the end of Lenny at the beginning, we're remembering Lenny for who he was from that last scene. Wonderful. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. So I'm glad I'm glad you remembered because I was like, oh, shit, we've We've talked about a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But um all right. So, with all of that said, I'll go ahead and hit up my stray bubbles. I only have two just some fun facts I pulled off IMDb like I get most of my fun facts. Yeah. Um Midge and Susie watching Jeopardy together is a tribute to Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner who watched Jeopardy together every night. They would have dinner what? and watch Jeopardy. Yep. Over the phone with each other, too? In person. Oh, in person. Yeah. Oh, but still, that's I'm, awesome. And I'm sure there was probably moments over the phone as well. But yeah. yeah. Oh, how sweet. Um, The other one that I have, uh, <laughs> when, when Abe and Rose are running around trying to get a cab, mm-hmm. Abe refers to the person who fetches cabs as Antonio, a clear nod to his character on Wings. Oh, sweet. Antonio was a cab driver. Oh, that's cool. I was like, I love you guys so much. Wow, that's really cool. What an what an awesome fact and what a great Easter egg to throw in yeah. there. Seriously. I bet Tony Shalhoub was like, I'm all about that. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, with all of that said, we're going to go ahead and hit up our Midwest goodbye as quickly as we can. I am so sorry, everyone, <laughs> but y'all should have known this I warned Jen happen. that this was going to be a yep. long episode. <laughs> so... Six Degrees of Nicolas Cage for the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel final season, where we will get to Nicolas Cage in six steps or less. Eric, how did you do? I did better than I thought I was going to do, because oh. this is like my third Six Degrees of Miss Maisel. I so I thought I was running out of ideas, but I found another one. Oh, okay. Um, So uh, this revolves a guest character on the show, so okay. not a main character. So this involves uh, Hank Azaria, actually. <gasps> 
So Hank Azaria, very famous comedian and actor, is also probably most well per- known for portraying the controversial character of a of a Pooh from The Simpsons. Okay, can't get around that one, but that's what he did. Well, in The Simpsons, this was uh, in a 2019 episode called Bart versus Itchy and Scratchy. Uh, that episode guest starred a special guest because that's all they're doing in Simpsons. That was bringing in special guests, but this episode happened to bring in one of my favorite new age comedians who I love to death, Aquafina. Oh, okay. And Aquafina just so happened to co-star in a fairly recent film called Renfield mm-hmm. starring Nicolas Cage. Very good. <laughs> Excellent. So mine came quite easily uh-huh. uh, as I was watching it. So one of the writers, I can't remember the character name, Mel maybe, but the actor's name is Michael Cyril Crichton, Crichton, C-R-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. Okay. Uh, I instantly recognized him from Only Murders in the Building. Oh, nice. Because he plays one of the tenants. Okay. And in season three, they've got Miss Meryl Streep. Who was in Adaptation? Hey, Nicholas Cage. That was a good one. I don't think I've landed on it. That's actually a deep, kind of a deep cut right there, too. So, yeah. All right. So, Eric, what's been streaming in your bubble? Well, uh, let's see. We just finished season three of The Mandalorian the other day. We oh, okay. Yeah, finally yeah. got around to it, and we 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 just we we went through that in like a day and a half. So that was a very easy watch. We started it at like seven that night, and then by like. The next morning after we woke up, we just watched the rest of it. So nice. that was a good one. We have started re-watching from the beginning Good Omens because we completed season two. Mm-hmm. And Anastasia really wanted to watch season one again and just kind of watch it all consecutively. So we're doing that right now. Nice. Watched uh, the movie Elemental a couple of times recently, the new okay. Pixar. Actually, I don't know why it got such a bad rep because it's fucking phenomenal. So I recommend it. Um, nothing else is coming to mind, but I am going to start thinking about like compiling my list for my uh 32 halloween. days of halloween again this year add angry black the angry black girl and her monster to that list i've never heard of it it's a new movie came out um independent i my previous episode with carla from bedwetter behead we reviewed that movie it is a it is a take on frankenstein the angry black girl and her monster it is rentable on streamers but you should check the library. Have you gotten your library card yet? Please Did you know September is library card sign-up month? So I will sign your ass up at the Oregon Library to so get your fucking library card. I'll give you a hug because you'll probably do it, and I know me. Okay, so I wow. have your email. That's all I need to set you. I can just... Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, I'll check this out. Abs- check it out and then listen to the episode. This looks good. It's really fucking good. But um, yeah, cool. sounds good. What about you? So we just started Good Omens season two last night and got the first episode in. John Hamm walking oh naked my God. in the streets. And, just that, and again with the like, maybe I should rewatch Mad Men because now I see John John Hamm's and butt. And I'm just gonna point out that's uh, that's his real butt, people. That's his real butt. I'm so excited! Oh my God, John Hamm has can a pretty. See me now, I'm like a child. You know what? With a name like Ham, you would think that would he have you know some more hams on him, but his butts are kind of flat. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I'm sure he works out. All right. So, yeah. Good Omens. Season yeah. two started that last night. Sure. Uh, staying somewhat current on uh, Harley Quinn. Rest in peace, Arlene Sorkin. Oh, yes. Absolutely. So. All right. 
that's I think I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've said it we said quite a few things, right? Yes, I, I think so. So that's gonna do it for us today. Thank you, Eric, for joining me in the pod basement for today's recording. Always love being here. Our final maze we'll have to find oh, a new series. Final Maisel. Final Maisel. That's so. heartbreaking. Can I just send by saying one more thing? Yeah. Just I've enjoyed so much having conversations with you about this show. You and I have talked about so many shows together, but this one has always been my favorite. It's through the discussing the the good things and bad, I'm very glad that you were open to having these conversations and checking the show out and appreciating appreciating it the way you did. So, in the words of Susie and of uh, uh, Miriam, it's up. up. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thank you to all you lovely bubblies for listening. And support the writers. Fuck corporate greed. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix. Follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. Find me on Facebook and Instagram as My Streaming Bubble. Have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at MyStreamingBubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at buymeacoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming.